At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. Hey, I'm Alex. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to really serve you guys and just kind of deliver uh, the very first message in a brand new series that we're starting here at Woodside. Uh, and it's all focused on the book of James. Uh, if you've never read the book of James, um, it is one of those, many people reference it as kind of the book of Proverbs for the New Testament. There's so many clear instructions and guidance on how to live your life as a believer. And if the book of Proverbs, if you're not familiar with that, uh, in the Old Testament, that's considered to be wisdom literature, meaning that it gives you different things and gives you different perspectives on how you can live your life as a follower of God. This is the book of Proverbs. Um, in the book of Proverbs, if you've never done it before, it's another great devotional um, guide for you. Take one chapter a day, take a couple of verses in each chapter a day, and just kind of read what the Proverbs have to say to you. Uh, I know personally many business people who use Proverbs to help guide the way in which they do their businesses because it's full of just these basic principles of how you treat one another how you navigate through life and how you can uh, truly be a, a source of encouragement, a source of wisdom in your life and in the lives of other people. And James does the same thing. Um, however, it's more centered and focused on you as a follower of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I think all of us could probably use a little bit more wisdom in our life, right? I think as followers of Jesus, if being a Christ follower is really easy for you, then something may be off. Catch that for a moment. If following Christ is really easy for you, something may be off. We'll talk about that more here in a little bit. Uh, and additionally, the book of James, much like the rest of the New Testament, it's actually a letter. It's not something that James, who most scholars believe to be the actual James, the brother of Jesus, um, it's not just meant to be a, a book in and of itself. It is a letter that he wrote to all of the Jewish converts, all the new Christians who used to be Jews. It's a letter to them after they were exiled and dispersed all throughout today's known Middle East. The Roman Empire is still in control even after Jesus' death and resurrection. And what begins to happen is that these Christians and these Jews are, start, are exiled and pushed out of where they grew up, out of their ancestral homes, out of all of these places, and they're meant to go and scatter. And if you look at world history of the Jews in general, what you begin to notice is that there's a common theme there for God's people. They are always dispersed. They are always sent out. They are always not where they are originally from. And James is specifically writing to Christian Jews, okay? Those who were Jews, and then they converted. They believe they have a confession of Jesus. They are choosing to follow the teachings of Jesus. 
And as they're doing this in this dispersed area, they're finding themselves in places that didn't necessarily welcome them with open arms, right? If we think about, um, you think about immigration today, right? All right, that can be kind of a hot topic, you know, political conversation. But generally, when you are dispersed from your country of origin and you're forced to go and live somewhere else, not always do you, you find yourself at a place that welcomes you with open arms. These folks lost their jobs. They lost their source of income. These folks, they were uh, noticeably different in all of these new cities and regions that they were going to. And so James is choosing to intentionally write to these dispersed exiles and say, let me encourage you and let me be straight into the point to encourage, challenge, and help you as you live your life in this new environment. You want to talk about suffering. These believers experience suffering both externally and also internally. They were suffering. And I was trying to think through what really makes sense, and I, I kind of laughed at myself because I was like, oh, yeah, two years ago, all of us experienced an external suffering. Does everybody remember what happened two years ago? Yeah, we're all laughing like it's still here, right? Hey, two weeks to flatten the curve and everything will be fine. You get two weeks at home. You can work from home. There's this new thing called Zoom. Nobody really uses it that much, but you can jump on there. It'll be totally fine. It'll be two, maybe three weeks max. Yeah, here we are two years later, and now what we're experiencing is for many of you, you've had to wrestle with what do you do with your career? What do you do with uh, if you are a parent and you have elementary age kids? What do you do? Do you still be a teacher at home? Do you still send them to a school, even if the school doesn't do things the way that you wish that the school would do it? There's so much external suffering that I think all of us have experienced collectively in the last two years that we could relate to. But that's kind of simple suffering, right? That's kind of some simple suffering. What happened back on November 30th, December 1st timeframe? And what happened in Oxford? Suffering. External situations and external experiences that came upon a community that was not looking for it, that was not expecting it, but yet we find ourselves in the midst of it. That suffering is continuing. Even for many of you who have family members or close friends who, because of a disease, find themselves losing their life, and you're left wondering, what if? What if I had done something differently? What if we had done something differently? What if so somebody else had done something differently? Could my family member, my loved ones still be present. All of us in this room have gone through suffering in the last two years. All of us. And it's something that we shouldn't be caught by surprise. And when we look in the text, and we're going to look at this a little bit more here, when we, be, when we begin to examine the scriptures, there's a principle that's here that's not real popular. And the principle is this, is that as a follower of Jesus you will experience seasons of suffering. It's unavoidable. You will experience it. And what we have to do as mature followers of Jesus is mentally and in our hearts be prepared for when that suffering comes upon us. Again, whether it's from the external being put on us or it's an internal suffering. 
you have to be prepared and you have to recognize that you as a follower of Jesus, you're going to experience that. It's a really uplifting sermon today, guys. <laughs> but in actuality, it is. Because all of our suffering, all of the suffering that you endure as a follower of Jesus is meant for a purpose. It's not just God being sadistic in any sort of way to say, I want you just to experience suffering like this because it'll make me feel good. That's not who our God is. But instead, the suffering that you endure and that you go through is meant to help create within you something that God desires. James tells us about this a little bit more. And for those of you who may be wondering, I'm probably going to talk like this all day long today because as I was trying to think about real-life illustrations of suffering, I decided to nearly cut my finger off on Thursday because I really wanted to give you guys a visual illustration of what suffering really looks like. <laughs> that suffering came about because of my own stupidity, not because of anybody around me or my own internal issues. It was just me being stupid. So if I talk like this, just bear with me, okay? And don't shake my left hand. Um, so are you guys ready? Are you prepared? And are you willing to look at what it is in the book of James to truly live a mature faith? I hope you guys are ready. So open your Bibles. Let's go to James chapter 1. Like I said, this is the very beginning of a series. And the whole premise of the series is for us to understand what it is to not live our truth, but to live the truth. Okay? To have this living faith. To have a life that is focused on what God's word says, not what the world around us says. And if you have any kind of exposure to media, if you have any kind of exposure to people, what you are probably hearing over and over and over again is, hey, that's cool for you to believe. That's your truth. I'm going to live by my truth. And you can't argue with me about our truths because this truth is specific to me, and you can't tell me I'm wrong. Anybody ever engaged in that kind of conversation yet or seen that conversation happen? If you haven't, you need to be talking and listening more to people because that's what our world is thriving on right now is that they want you to have that experience. They want you to live your truth. But as mature followers of Jesus, we're called to live this truth, not our own. So James chapter 1, look at this. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ of the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect to complete, lacking in nothing. Period. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. How many of you kind of put that up in your house and you just kind of look at it each day and you're like, I'm going to count it as all joy. It's going to be a great day, right? I was thinking, you know, reading this, it kind of puts this image in my mind of like Mr. Rogers, right? Like you're walking into your house, putting your cardigan on. Some of you have good cardigans. You're putting your cardigan on. You're putting your house slippers on. And you're like, man, my life is a complete train wreck. But you know what? I'm counting it all as joy. Man, my marriage is failing right now. But you know what? James tells me to count it all joy. So I'm just thankful that my marriage is failing. Hey, you know what? I'm about to lose my job because I'm choosing to stand on principle. But you know what? I'm counting it all as joy, even though everything around me is burning down. You guys ever been around those people who are always so optimistic? 
and it makes you a little nauseous? Or is that just me? That's probably why I have the reputation I do. Um, but it's not, what James is doing here is he's not trying to give us some fluffy approach to life. He's not asking us to just, oh, just count it all joy and just be grateful for everything as you go through this terrible time. That's not what James's intention and goal is in this moment. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. I think if we want to have a mature faith that survives seasons of suffering, what we have to be, what we have to understand, what we have to embrace is that those seasons of suffering, that God has a goal for those things. That to survive seasons of suffering, we have to know what God's goals are in our lives in that moment and in that season. What are those seasons? What are those goals? Well, first, before we answer that question, again, let me remind you. Look at verse 2. When you meet trials, just like Jim was talking about fasting, the scriptures don't say if you decide to fast. The scriptures say when you fast. The scriptures don't say if you face trials. It says when you face trials. If I haven't said it enough already, let it burn into your mind. You are going to face seasons of suffering, and that's okay. It's okay to find yourself in a season of suffering. It's not meant to be pleasant. It's not meant to be something that fills your heart with joy. It is a reality that we face. So when you meet them, count it as all joy. So what do we count as all joy? Do we count the experience of our suffering? Do we, do we look at coronavirus and say, I am so thankful for coronavirus? Some of you who started new businesses in the midst of that, maybe, right? But most of us aren't looking at the last two years with joy. That's not what we're called to count as joy. We're not, count to call, we're not expected to count the physical suffering, that actual event. But instead, we need to put our minds on what comes after that. Because that's the goal that God has for you. Count it all joy when you face these trials and why. The reason why is that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. How many of you have honestly questioned God in the last two years? Okay, two people raised their hand. Thank you all for participating. This is my wife and my pastor. It's great. Um, that says something about me, though, I think, and not about them. Um, right? Like, have you questioned God in the last two years? Have you questioned God in the last two months? I think most people question God back at the very beginning of December. Why, God, would you let this event happen in my school and in my community? It's okay to question God. It's okay to do that because through that questioning, through you asking and through you choosing to pause and listen, that your faith becomes more mature. It produces something in you. Your faith gets worked out a little bit. Sometimes I think people have this misnomer of like, hey, I accepted Jesus. I believe in who he is. I confess him as my Lord. I'm submitting my life to him. I'm good to go. Here we go. 
your faith doesn't stop at that moment of salvation. Again, all throughout the scripture, in Paul's letters, in Peter, they talk about working out your faith, growing your faith. Many of you have started your New Year's resolution of going to the gym this week, right? You're doing that because you want to go and work out, right? When you work out, what does it do? It builds muscle. It builds stamina. It builds all these different things. Are you doing the same with your faith? Or are you just kind of coasting through life? Riding the curtails of maybe that salvation moment. Or maybe riding the curtails of your parents' faith. Or the cultural expectation that, hey, you're an American, you live in the burbs of Detroit, you should go to church if you, you know, are a conservative individual. We have to be working out our faith. Our faith has to become more mature. When we go through seasons of suffering, that's what happens, is that our faith becomes more mature because it gives us the opportunity for steadfastness to be produced. Maybe some of your translations, steadfastness is in the ESV. Some of your translations may say patience or endurance. All of those three words mean the same thing in the original Greek. But in the original Greek, this word steadfastness is not just a, a, a singular moment. It is ongoing, meaning that your faith should continually be steadfast. It should continually be strong. It should continually be unwavering. It shouldn't be movable. It should remain solid, firm, and planted. And the more seasons of suffering that you go through, the deeper that those roots go of your faith. He keeps going. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What's God's goal as you go through these seasons of suffering? Is that your faith becomes more perfect is that your faith becomes complete. It's that your faith, it grows these deeper roots. There's a business concept um, and a relational concept, but it's this idea that as you go through various trials and various hard things, your capacity to handle more becomes even greater, right? All of us have a certain ceiling that we operate under. And as we continue to operate under that ceiling, we have a choice to go past the ceiling or to stay underneath it. Your faith is the same way. Many of us in the church, we're okay with our faith having a ceiling just right above our heads, and we never want to go past it. Because if we go past it, what does that entail for us? What additional things do we have to do? What additional experiences are we going to have? What is it that God's going to ask me to do if I listen and obey. God desires for your ceiling to be broken and for it to continually to grow and grow and grow. And the reason why is not necessarily because he wants to make your life so amazing, but because he wants to use your life for the sake of somebody else. Those of you who are going through marriage struggles and you walk through this pain, I was talking with somebody uh, earlier this week they're walking through a terrible moment in their marriage. And what I got to share with them was this very simple thing. Recognize that as you continue with God through this process, one day God might use you to help another person going through the same thing. That they can learn from you 
the mistakes that you made along this process. That they can learn from you the positive things that you did in this process. And God will use you if you allow him to. God has big goals for your seasons of suffering. Don't ever forget that. Jump down with me to verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. There's a crown of life. It's another reward. It's something that awaits us. For those of us who choose to look to him and follow him in these seasons of suffering. This crown of life, again, Paul uses the same language, Peter uses the same language, but it's this idea, a crown being something that you earn from running a race, right? You run a race in ancient times, you didn't get a medal, you got a crown of flowers. It's real exciting. And what James is trying to remind us is that there's this crown of life that awaits us if we remain steadfast through these seasons of suffering. I was thinking about um, a couple years ago, my wife and I traveled to Turkey. And uh, in Turkey, they have, um, they're known for making their beautiful rugs, right? Uh, I don't know how many of you make rugs on a regular basis. Uh, but if you've ever seen an actual hand-woven rug, whether by hand or by a loom, um, on the front of the rug, on the top of the rug that everybody sees, it looks beautiful. It's got these intricate patterns. It's got color that pops. It's just a beautiful thing that takes so long to create. If you flip the rug over, is there beauty underneath the rug? Not so much. It looks messy. It's hard to figure out what the figure is. It's hard to see the colors really pop. It kind of looks discombobulated. It just kind of has this weird feeling. That's why it stays on underneath that no one can see. Your life is like that tapestry. It's like that rug. Underneath, there's so much suffering and things that will occur in your life. But on the top of it, God desires to create beauty out of that. So long as you choose to walk through these seasons with that mature faith. Let's keep going. Not only, do, not only do we have to understand God's goals in surviving these seasons of suffering, we also kind of have to be real with ourselves about the condition of our own sin. To survive a season of suffering, we have to have a right view of our own sinfulness. I don't know if you know this, but you're sinful. Does everybody understand that? Right? So am I. So is Jim. So is Pastor Chris. Every single believer that you meet deals with sin on some varying level. And oftentimes, our sin becomes far more pronounced during when? Seasons of suffering. Our sin becomes more pronounced. Maybe it's a sin of control, where you're like, you know what, I'm going through this thing. God, I really don't see any way out, so you know what, I'm just going to take control of my life and make my own decisions and be my own leader because I want to get myself out of this place and out of this season because I don't want to live here anymore. And so you take control, and you turn away from God, 
and you live in your own focus and you do your own thing. Or how about this? This is one maybe that I relate to more. Maybe some of you do as well. When you go through seasons of suffering, it naturally produces stress in your life, right? Anybody have stress? Yeah? How do you deal with your stress? Does sin start to boil up within you to say, you're stressed out, you're tired. You know what? Doing these things over here, these things will make you feel better. These things will make life maybe a little bit more enjoyable in the moment. You deserve this stuff over here because you're under so much stress. You should for sure go and do this thing over here. And maybe right now you've got all sorts of images and pictures in your mind of the things that maybe you've done. Just like me. When I'm under seasons of stress because of suffering either externally or internally, what do I turn to? Do I turn to my own flesh? Or do I turn towards the Lord? Look, look here at verse uh, 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James knew that for these dispersed believers, that they were going to find themselves in a place of questioning who God is. God, you brought this evil upon me. God, the only reason why I want to do these things over here is because you created the situation for me to want to go and do these things. God, it's actually your fault that we're doing all of this and that I'm experiencing all of this. God, why would you let this horrible thing happen at the school? God, why would you let this continue on for two years? God, why don't you care? Or another perspective that some people have is, well, you know what? Yeah, like I'm destroying my marriage by having an affair with somebody else. But you know what? God brought me to my first spouse. God didn't work on that other spouse. God put me in this relationship. And now I really believe that God wants me to be with this other person because this other person makes me feel so much better. God must have really set that up for me. It may make you laugh and chuckle, but do you know how many times I hear that in my office? You know how many times Jim and I have to walk with a couple as they go through this or with a man or with a woman? Because Satan knows you and he knows what your desires are. And Satan's a fisherman. I don't know if you knew that. Okay, anybody, anybody ever fished before? Yeah. Still got to try to do this Michigan ice fishing thing. But when you go fishing, you don't just throw your hook in and just wait for the fish to go to that shiny little thing, right? What do you do? You put bait on it. Why do you put bait on it? Because fish are stupid. And they're going to see a worm in freezing temperatures and be like, oh, I'm going to go eat that, right? They go up to it. You feel it hit your line. And what do you do if you're a good fisherman? You set the hook. You give it a little jerk. The hook gets stuck in there. And then you as the fisherman, you can do whatever you want with that fish. Because they're not going anywhere. 
Satan does the same thing with you. In your seasons of suffering, Satan's going to throw some bait out there for you. He's not going to stand there in a you know, red suit with a pitchfork saying, hey, you should follow me. This will be a good thing. He's going to dangle some bait. And he's going to say, hey, come over here. This will help you get through your season of suffering. Hey, come over here. It'll be totally fine. This tastes really good. And as soon as you do, he sets in. So what is James's warning to the church? What is his warning to the believers? Recognize, number one, that God is not going to lead you to a place of temptation. Okay? That temptation comes from your own desires. So what do you do with those desires that you have? In that moment that you begin to feel that pull or that draw towards that thing over here that doesn't honor the Lord, that is something that is contrary to who he is, in that very moment, we are called to confess that, that thought, that temptation, that feeling, and deal with it before, just like James uses here in the illustration, before it's conceived and it grows into something more. How do you do that? Welcome to church. This is what church is. You come here and you're real with people. You join a life group. Why? So you can have friends? Nah, not so much. You do it so that you have brothers and sisters in Christ who can look at you and look at things in your life and say, hey, I've noticed something about you. You're never with your spouse or you're always on your phone or this or this or this. Do people know you well enough to be able to see into your life and ask you those hard, poignant questions? What's going on? And how are you doing? Because something doesn't look right. That's what God's church does, is it gives us that place and that opportunity to deal with the desire and with the temptation before it grows and develops into something more. So if we're going to survive a season of suffering, we have to recognize what our own sinfulness is so that we can see it as it starts to creep up and we can deal with it immediately. And the last principle that James tries to use to encourage us, look at verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. What we have to do is we have to remember the character of God. We have to remember and understand God's character as we survive these seasons of suffering. God, it makes absolutely no sense why this event happened or why I'm in this place. But yet, God, I know that you're good and that you're perfect and that you love me. Help me to remember those things about you. How many of us have gotten angry with God in the last two years, the last year, last month, last week, yesterday? How many of you have been angry with God because of the suffering that you're going through? It's okay 
to get angry with God. But what do you do with that anger? Do you have it for a moment and then you remind yourself of the goodness and the qualities of who God is in his character? Or do you choose to stay in this place of anger? And anger gives way to what? Bitterness. And what does bitterness do? It just drives you further and further away from God. Many, many people, when they begin to walk through seasons of suffering, whether it's something done to them or whether it's because of their own sinfulness and they've caused this season of suffering in their own life because of their choices, oftentimes what happens, what I see, what Jim sees, is that people turn away from the Lord and it's done so in a tangible, tangible way, they stop coming to church. Because why? Because the reminder of God's love for them, they don't want to accept it. It's because of the reminder of God's mercy for them, they don't feel like they should receive it or earn it. Or the reminder of God's people who hopefully are loving and inviting and say, hey, I know you're going through some crazy stuff right now, but despite you going through crazy stuff, I'm not going to shun you and kick you off to the curb simply because you're dealing with sin that's more apparent over here rather than my own sin that nobody else can see. You know why there's so many people in the world that hate church? Because the church has treated people in such a way to say, hey, get away from us. You have sin that's really apparent in your life. We don't want to be around you. It makes us uncomfortable. Whatever that was. <laughs> when we go through these seasons of suffering, we have to remember the character of God. He loves you. He is merciful. He is just, meaning he's not going to allow you to just simply continue to live in that place. He's gracious. He's all-knowing. He's, he's, he, he's welcoming, meaning he's not some distant God that we have to jump through hoops to be able to commune with. Instead, he says, approach my throne of grace with confidence because of what my son Jesus has done for you. So a mature faith survives seasons of suffering. Church, God wants you to, to survive seasons of suffering that come into your life. He's given us his truth to go back to and to be reminded of and to follow as we walk through that time and that season. He's also given us his church the body of believers to say, hey, I want to walk with you. I want to be with you as you go through this season of suffering. Maybe not for them to answer and to find all the right things for you to do, but simply to have what's called like a ministry of presence, to simply be there, to give a hug, to give a handshake, to give a word of encouragement. And I think another poignant thing, and I love the way that God orchestrates everything, God says, I'm here with you too, but are you talking to me? This next week, as we focus on fasting and praying, again, it's not meant just to tell God what it is that we want, but more so it's for us to look to God to say, just speak to me this week. 
Speak to me today. When you fast, when you give something up, again, it's not so that God gives you some more jewels in your crown or that you get a little bit of a bigger, you know, doghouse, right, in, in heaven. Um, instead, that was a terrible joke. Instead, what he wants you to do is he just wants you to be present with him and let him speak to you. So when you fast and you give something up and you're reminded of that thing you gave up, whether it's food or drink or social media, don't give up your job this week. Um, whatever it is that you give up in that moment that you recognize you don't have that thing in your life, in that very moment, you look to God and say, yeah, I'm hungry. Lord, help me to listen to you. Help me to listen to you. Or you come up here and you pray. And I love what Jim said. Maybe you don't need to come up here and talk while you're praying. Maybe you just need to come up here and sit and be silent for 30 minutes. Phone's off. Watches are off. Nobody can get a hold of you. And you just sit there in silence for 30 minutes. And maybe the Spirit will come and say something to you that he wants you to hear. Church, you will go through seasons of suffering. And that's okay. How you go through those seasons of suffering reveals a mature faith or an immature faith. As one of your pastors, I want you to have a mature faith. I want you to be followers, men and women who follow Jesus, and you are mature about the way that you engage suffering and hardship in the world. And that's James's heart for us today. And I think as long as we commit to keep our eyes focused on him, that we count it all joy when we walk through these seasons, not because the thing itself is fun, but because we know that through it, God wants to produce a steadfastness in your faith after it. Because God wants to use you to make an impact in the world all around you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the truth that we have. And God, the reality that we do experience seasons of suffering, the reality that we do experience all of these things, grow us, mature us through them, and mature us through them in the ways that you desire. Help us to be mindful of your goals that you have for us to produce a steadfastness within our faith. God, help us to not be foolish and to remember that our sin desires to lure us away and that we have an enemy who's actively trying to get our eyes off of you. And God, most importantly, help us to remember your character. Remind us of that as we are with your church. Remind us of that as we are in your word. Remind us of that Simply, Lord, as we come before you in a posture of prayer and a posture of invitation. So, God, I pray that for everyone who's here this morning, and I know so many people personally, Lord, who are in a place in a season of suffering. Holy Spirit, would you profoundly speak to them right now? Would you help them? Maybe for the very first time, they need to give words to what it is that they're feeling. Help them, Lord. 
And may we not be afraid to come to you in our place of suffering. The band's going to lead us in a final song. And as they do that, it's a beautiful hymn. But don't forget what Pastor Jim talked about earlier. In your worship bulletin, you have a prayer request card. There are going to be people praying all this week and on Friday night even more so. Don't be afraid to write down the details and the reality of what it is that you're facing. You don't have to sign it. But if you put it down on that paper and you drop it in one of the boxes on your way out, it gives the church the opportunity to help drag that thing from the darkness into the light for you to be prayed for and for God to do a work in you. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.